1: It is the Anfield Rap. Neil Atkinson, Andy Heaton, Dan Austin, and Adam Smith with you uh, for the next, oh, let's say about an hour or so. If you're listening on the radio, there are breaks and things like that. There might be a traffic bullet, and who knows? Although I'll tell you now, it's congested on the Strand. Uh, we're going to rattle right the way through uh, with this show. Uh, the big news of the day—I've got—I'm talking to Jordan jarrett Bryan of the Football Fans uh, Podcast in a minute or two with John Gibbons. We're obviously going to look ahead to West Brom with one eye on Roma, but we are going to start with this—the this, the, the, the Arsene Wenger thing from a Liverpool point interview because the first thing it does for me adam is there's two former liverpool managers who should actually be looking at that that that, that job as an opportunity that might well come up for either rafa benitez or brendan rogers
2: definitely I, I don't know whether either of them would get the buy-in from the fans that they that they would need at arsenal right now i think they need someone that unites the fan base and i'm not sure that either either of those either benitez or um rogers unites the fans rightly or wrongly I, I just don't think they're convinced that they would be convinced by that um, you haven't asked me but for me if I was Arsenal I'd be going all out for Simeone I think trying to persuade him to go although he feels like he's got ex-Chelsea manager written all over him um, that's to all of us uh, but I do Dan think... Austin was three years ago <laughs> and he, you know, his, his career's blossomed since then <laughs> come round to me at some point um, but I do, that's what I would do I think Simeone and I, I think that I think that both Rodgers and Rafa would would, would be a really, really nice fits for Arsenal in their own way, in totally different ways. Obviously, because they're completely different managers, but I think they'd be a good fits. But I just don't see the, the 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 Arsenal fan base settling for it. Damn.
3: Um, I actually felt quite sad about it when I saw it this morning. Um, he's been the Arsenal manager for pretty much my entire life. Of course, he has. Um, yeah,
1: you've never known anything different. Really, no, have you?
3: no. Which is it's it's really weird. Like, obviously, it was inevitable, and it's 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 very much felt like. It's, it was coming for maybe three or four years now, but it still feels weird that it's actually real, that there's going to be like someone else sat in their dugout. Um, in terms of who it is, I agree that it, it, I don't think it can really be Rogers or Benitez just because they've become so polarised and so angry with themselves that they just need someone that they all like. And it, it, it doesn't have to be the best manager in the world. It just needs to be someone that they all think is either a decent fella or has got a good track record there's no kind of hang up about him um, whether that's Simeone or someone else I, I, I don't really know whether Simeone would view that as a step up or even a sideward step I'm, I'm, I'm not sure in this day and age but um, yeah I was quite sort of quite sad to, 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 to see the way it happened because it feels, I mean I know it's the big news story but it feels like everyone would have forgot by this time next week because they're not important anymore um, I think they are trying I, to time it around the semi-final
1: with Atletico. If you're mm, him, you want to go out, you know, so they're all roaring them on.
3: Yeah, I guess so. They're trying to build the atmosphere up for them, turn it into something that's not a negative, which it quite easily could have become. But I, I'm just not convinced that it's going to be quite as um, respectful and um, all-encompassing a send-off as it probably should be, because I think it's, been, it's gone on long enough that it's, it, it's kind of tipped over the line in, in terms of the toxicity of it and it's just a bit... The, the, the nastiness means I, I I can't imagine, you know, a full Emirates Stadium on the last day of the season if they've not got to the Europa League final. All standing, giving him a clap, singing his name, all quite happy about it, which, considering his record and, and what he's done for them, just feels a bit wrong.
4: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a peculiar one. Um, I mean... If, you forget when Wenger arrived You talk about what names Are going to come in it's going to be Fascinating for me Whether they Consult or seek The counsel of David Dean Who of course Appointed Wenger And is still well respected uh, Because Who would No one had heard of Wenger mm-hmm. When they appointed him he come from Grand Sage Or something like that and he, like, They'd been Bruce Ryokoff And just brought This fella in And went in Some mad direction And the other side of it, I mean, personally, I don't think Simeon would touch it with the barge pole. I think Rodgers, in the current setup would probably be an ideal fit. But then there's so many other questions there. That You look at the, the, the friction between Kroenke and Osmanoff and they're going to have to agree on who gets the next one because they can't agree on anything. And then you've got the thing where Wenger, and you've seen it with Ferguson. Wenger's been there that long. Everything about that club is done in Wenger's way. Mm -hmm. so how long does it take for the next fella then to get used to the management practices and how they do things and then also overcome them because there will be pushback because people don't like change Um, my line of thinking is very much with Dan I couldn't agree more I actually felt a little bit sad this morning seeing it and and the way it's I know the way they're trying to play it out one thing and the other but you know I, I don't think Arsene Wenger's done more for Arsenal Football Club than anyone else in Arsenal's history period I mean even you look at he basically built that stadium with his brand of football and you know he kept them going through the build, one thing and the other so I don't know Um, but if it was going to edge me better I think Rodgers should be shorter than what he is with the bookies even though they should go for Rafa Benitez Rafa's the right answer
2: I think the really interesting thing for Arsenal at the moment is if you look at Liverpool the amount of time it has taken us to, uh, the, to the fan base in general, I would say, to get rid of the bad blood that was there from the days of Hicks and Gillette. And I know that's a totally different ball game. I know it, that, that nothing like that happened to Arsenal. To so they didn't even come close to the sort of things that we did. But the, but the, uh, probably three quarters of the fan base have been sick of Wenger for about two years. And the place is toxic, or at least has been prior to now. That doesn't. I agree with Dan. That's not something that just goes away. I don't. Don't you think it's just a
1: boil that you've lanced? I'm sorry. Do so I think no, you've la- you just lanced the boil of it? You
2: know what I mean. Uh, no, like I don't. Was- because I don't. I, because I think when people, I think what we've experienced as a club is that when people get used to complaining, they keep complaining about things. I think that's what we. I think that's what we see when Liverpool lose a game and loads of you know you get the, the, the weirdo saying clop out and things like that. I think it's what we're seeing with FSG out because I think it's loads of people who don't quite know what they actually want owners to do are just are just happy moaning about stuff and and I'm not sure and I, I, look I might be wrong in a year's time they might be you know top of the table everyone's really happy. It's great. I don't think you get rid of bad blood that quickly at a football club. I think it, I think it sticks around for a little while, and it and it, it really will take somebody uniting the fan base to get that sorted. And and I think Andy's right from a footballing point of view. I think Benitez is the right answer. But I don't think there's many Arsenal fans that are sitting and going, "Oh, brilliant! That's great news."
1: Is there is there a conversation here about how it knocks on towards down? In that you did feel this season, we uh, that the collective had turned the idea of four from six into four from five. That mm-hmm. you, you know it, it suddenly looked. You were you you were probably even thinking to yourself, "Oh, next season, yeah, you know Chelsea might come back strong because of Conte." Uh, you know, you, it, it City. You don't you know what they're going to do. United, et cetera, et cetera. But I wasn't sort of sitting around going, "Oh, I wonder what Arsenal are going to do." Really, if I'm quite honest with you, I was thinking that, that we we've got this bedded down now. That's not the case here, is it? You know, there's every chance that's not the case. If Liverpool, you know, that Arsenal can, could find a way to, resur- to have a resurgence, you get the impression if they bring a new manager in, they want to spend some money, they'll be bringing some new players in. They can hit the ground running. There are good players there as well. It does make you think that, we're gonna, that this fight that we've had this season, we are going to have to have it all over again next season.
3: Um, I think the most important aspect of that is that no matter what, they're going to be different. Um, because Arsenal have been having the same season for seven or eight seasons pretty much over and over again except for the last couple it's, it's slipped off a little bit and been slightly worse um, but no matter what, whether whether they end up being better or worse than, than what they are now they're going to be a different football team they're going to play in a different way they're going to have a different um, vibe around themselves as a squad I still don't think that they're going to really push towards the, the proper top end of the table next season just because I don't think that I think they've got a few good individual players, but I don't think they've got a nucleus of a good football team anymore. I think it's eroded over the last maybe three seasons or so. In the, I would look through previously, I would look through the spine of it and thought, there's, there's there's five lads there that you could build around. Where now? I, I don't see that as much, even the ones that I think are very good footballers like Ertel and Aubameyang are uh, knocking on for 30. Koscielny's 31-32. Yeah, um, and, and hasn't been the same player for the past couple of seasons, I don't think, anyway. Koscielny's um,
4: gone, obviously, he's pretty yeah, much probably going to retire. Uh, Adam
3: Ram- Ramsey's form's been very iffy for a while. It seems like Wiltshire's going to finally move on. If, it, hopefully it, to it's, Everton. It's, <laughs> hopefully, yes. It's, it's a very, very big rebuild, that. Like, and although in three or four years' time they might be more dangerous than than what they will be now, I don't look at them next season and think that I'm worried about them. A lot of that will depend on who the manager is. You know, if you get someone who, you know, is a really inspirational figure who, who gets them all pulling in the same direction and all that, that could change. But just from a purely football football and point of view, I don't think they can make enough changes in one summer with a new fella to really come back strongly enough to. Be pushing Liverpool, be pushing Manchester City, be properly challenging for the title, and, and looking to get back in the European Cup that way. Is there? to we're going to talk at length about the West Bromwich Albion, uh,
1: Roma, uh, sort of quandary for Liverpool after seven o'clock. It seems to me that it's. It's far easier, uh Andy, to be Arsenal at this now. Arsenal have basically got three games this season left. If they're lucky, they've got two. If they're unlucky, they've got this game against Atletico Madrid, home and away, and then they've got this final. That's it. That's all that that that's where all of Arsenal's eggs are. They are in that basket. There is nothing else for them to play for. They can't be don't even worry about mm. Burnley finishing ahead of you now. It's all about that send off. We've got a much more complicated task still, thanks to Chelsea winning against Burnley the other night. But you know, for Arsenal it's it that's it, it's done. They've just got to do that.
4: Yeah, uh, which is interesting It's going to be interesting to see how they tail off in the league Now Are we're going to have a little It seems a little bit like after the Lord Mayor's show They've got st- The one real aim is they one the Champions League last year does, does Wenger then get his Is that his final hurrah? Is that his gift to the fans That he walks away with it With the European, his only European trophy is uh, Would that be right? Then one, I think only, uh, Yeah, he lost it, the UEFA
1: Cup final Yeah, didn't he? his
4: only European trophy is Arsenal manager You know, and then you kind of he recovers that legacy not as much as he would have done mm-hmm. uh, a couple of years ago but then so yeah I do I totally fancy them against uh, Atletico over two legs as well I think they've got nothing to lose now because you know the manager's going you've you kind of lifted that pressure off them straight away so you know there's a massive massive prize at the end of it but on the same token, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they if they fall right off in the league.
1: Uh, all right, then uh, excellent stuff. After uh, after the break, we're going to be talking to Jordan uh, about what's happened at Arsenal. You might think that that's you know we're a Liverpool podcast, but to put it into context here, the time and the impact that Arsenal has had on English football, we'll be doing that after uh, this little break. Don't go anywhere. It's the Anfield Rap Radio City Talk. A little break of our City Talk show. Neil Atkinson with Craig Hannon and Josh Sexton to talk about the Reds' bet offer this week. And the core one is that there's a Fantasy League competition and this Fantasy League competition can be entered for free. There's some fantastic prizes for it on the website. They're all there. Uh, You can see our link to it. Uh, You need to be registered as a beneficiary for the Anfield Wrap in order to be be able to win a prize in the game. I'm sure you can make all that happen. I've got Josh Sexton and Craig Hannon with me because, Josh, you're you're looking at this with interest.
5: I am definitely. um, For those who listen to to our Fantasy League show, Show uh, involved with the Roto pre- Premier League Fantasy. I am uh, currently sat top of that with a with a let's call it a handsome lead. Shall we say? You're feeling
1: comfortable, so you've got all the, You've got all the facts and figures, the knowledge. You must be looking at
5: this thinking, "Aye, aye." Yeah, I, I do play the FPL one as well. So this this is obviously a sort of similar format in terms of the, the budget you have to spend and stuff. And what I tend to do at the start of the season, there although that might change slightly next year, is I usually pick a cheaper defence and go with a sort of more like weighty weighty attack. But I usually go with two Tony Pulis defenders which obviously I won't be able to do next year pending you know promotions and relegations and and other managerial sackings and incomings but it's a pretty uh, it's, a, it's a pretty intense four four game offering this as well it's just four weeks you just pick four it's just thinking about
1: game 35 36 37 38 that's it bang Done.
5: yeah well i'm i'm already looking ahead to next season there probably probably getting ahead of myself but um what what I was, was gonna say is maybe I look to Carlos Carvajal uh, and his Swansea lads because uh, they because they've been doing me well in in the in the Roto as well as in the Premier League one so they may be my go to. Uh, Excellent. Uh, you're rubbish.
6: <laughs> yeah, I knew there was a reason why you had me on this show because Josh is top and I'm bottom on the Roto Premier League and. Um, I think it's something that I'd definitely like to improve on now that But you could beat him in this because this will I wanna be able to see the league. So you could just beat Josh in this four week this four week hit here. No, that's the reason why I'm entering into this competition is so that I can beat Josh your sex. Finishing the season strong. Yeah, just listen to the way he talks about himself when he's talking about fantasy league and how good he is. I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna I'm, I'm going to bring them down a couple of pegs I think with my team I think my strategy needs to change slightly in that I pick players that I like and the Northern Irish lads and <laughs> and, and it looks like all of the Northern Irish lads are going to get relegated this season and they're not getting the game either Which, no. maybe the two things are linked but they're not getting the game <laughs> I think they are you're onto something there but yeah uh, I think uh, Steve Davis and the lads there at Southampton could go down
5: West Brom are going down so that's the rest of them um, so <laughs> um, yeah, Might so just be not good at Football, you know, like the generally the Northern Irish lads. Who,
6: who had it? has him in this show? He brought him on. He's fucking ruthless, isn't he? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> ruthless. Um, but yeah no I, I think this gives me a it gives me a second chance this season I think it's only the, the last three or four games has four games left isn't there so uh, this gives me um, four games it so gives me a chance to beat him in some way it's a four game hit so do come and get involved with it it's
1: Omrad's bet uh, uh, we're partnering with them for the whole of the year uh, we've got this relationship with them which we're really really pleased to have uh, and they want you to pick your best fantasy league squad uh, for the rest of the season which begins the 21st of April the standard FPL point scoring rules apply so you can bear that in mind. Uh, you've then got uh, managers can make one transfer per game, we can store maximum of three. Uh, you need to have chosen the Anfield Rap beneficiary, and in the case of a tight, the you the red the user that registered first at BetFair win uh, bet, sorry, at Red's Bet wins. Uh, and you've got everything else there as well that you need in terms of the prize information that sits there for you uh, the prizes are all excellent should be exciting for any Liverpool supporter and you get the idea obviously of being able to compete with one another and compete with us I'll have a team in there by the time that kicks off and that will be sitting there
6: I-, I like the fact as well that it's only four games because I don't have the stamina for these which is why I'm bottom we of the We can week league. out your
1: crap aren't you? Yeah
6: really
5: bad um, This is so- my worry Neil is I-, I didn't start this season in, in-, in Roto I'm very great so I'm sort of looking at this and, and what, I- what I didn't do at the start well, I was pick Liverpool lads because I thought it's sort of a double whammy if Liverpool lads playing badly and they're playing badly for my team but I might just have to do well, that now. But but the problem
1: with that though is is that the reason why this is quite complicated is well we, you could play anyone against Stoke. Well yeah and that's, that's yeah, it you got four yeah. game weeks you could play anyone against Stoke I think he's going to rest a couple for West Brom uh, I, that's I, why I'm I, picking Danny Ings now uh, Danny <laughs> <laughs> getting ingredients in cheap getting Danny ingredients right in my side uh, for the perfect recipe uh, for Fantasy League <laughs> success uh, with Reds Bet our friends at Reds Bet if you do gamble please do gamble responsibly but if you do gamble please feel free to gamble with them uh, 50% of all all uh, profits for that they make will go back into supporter based causes and if it, from a Liverpool point of view that's a Liverpool supporter based causes and ideas as well that's going on right the way through the year with us at the Anfield Rap but your fantasy league is an opportunity to engage with it if you're not uh, someone who's interested in the other side uh, or if even if you are uh, so please do feel free to jump in get involved it is Redsbet.com find the link in the Anfield Rap's Twitter or on our Facebook or on our Instagram to be able to join our league from now until the end of the season and let's just see who comes top I think Hannon's going to take it desperately seriously see you in a bit It is Radio City Talk, it is the Anfield Rap, it is Neil Atkinson, joined for this segment of the show with John Gibbons and, more importantly, sorry John, by Jordan jarrett Bryan to talk. Uh, He's from the Football Fans Podcast, but he's an Arsenal supporter. I've been speaking to Jordan now for over 12 months about Arsenal, about the goings-on, and there's the massive news today about Arsene Wenger stepping down at the end of the season. Uh, We'll put that into a bit of context in a minute, John and Jordan, but first and foremost, Jordan, I know you've wanted him to step down now for a period of time. It feels as though um, there's, there's almost a sense of relief about it, I think for everybody.
7: Well, definitely. I mean, in in the words of the kind of greats and late Ray Wilkins, I'm dangerously well because this is this is a really good day for me personally as an Arsenal fan. I think it has. I have been uh, calling for Wenger to 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 step down or even be sacked for the last two or three years because I think it's been time. It's gone rotten. And I think it's time for a change. and We're, we're, we're slipping into a non big club anymore. Um, But if I take my kind of personal agenda away for a second about wanting him to leave, it's also quite a sad day for football because without trying to make it sound too um, existential, no one's died here. But it's a sad day in the sense that you know, Arsenal Football Club, a great football club, are losing a fantastic uh, manager and an operator in football. And you know, we don't know what is going to be doing beyond um, uh, this decision, whether he retires or goes on elsewhere. But he, English football is losing a phenomenal figure um, within the game. Someone that has definitely progressed the game in this country. Someone that has inspired many other managers and coaches to be the managers and coaches that they, they have now been. So, if I do park my personal enthusiasm and excitement about him leaving, um, I think that there is you know, some respect to be issued to this man for what he has brought to not only our football club, but to English football as well.
8: I think you're completely right, Jordan. I think, look, we do a show on our subscriber service tour player, which is looking ahead to the next Liverpool game and Mm -hmm. despite that we did the first five minutes today on Arsene Wenger and Arsene Wenger has got nothing to do with Liverpool versus West Brom on Saturday but we did the first five minutes on Wenger and the the reason that that is is because it is such a huge huge thing that's happened in, in football and I said in that show, and and I, I stand by what I said half an hour ago, which was that if if you were to write the history of English football, it's no exaggeration to say there will be a chapter which just which just titled Wenger, and not just what Wenger did, but what he influenced and what and what happened in the next five years in the Premier League. You know, you you, you can just from a purely from a Liverpool point of view. Without without Arsene Wenger, there's no Gerard Houllier. Then without Gerard Houllier, what what happens to Liverpool between '96 and 2005? We don't know, but there maybe isn't a European Cup. And so, you know, he has had a huge impact on on what's gone on, not just obviously at Arsenal, but throughout the English game.
7: Most definitely, most definitely, I think all football fans can acknowledge. Um, what someone like Arsene Wenger has done for not only the club, but for, for, for football as well. And I think it's important that when we look back in five, ten years' time, we actually remember people like Arsene Wenger as, and football fans, remember them for the brilliance and the amazing things they brought to the game. And I think if you take off your partisan uh, fan hat for, for a second... Those that know football know what this man has done for English football in a way that I can, as much as I despise Manchester United, I can take off my hat and acknowledge how fantastic Sir Alex Ferguson was for not only Manchester United, but for English football as well. So I think that alongside the need for change to get this club back to where it needs to be, I think there needs to be an acknowledgement from football generally that this, this, is, this is something that needs to be celebrated, acknowledged, and he needs to be respected and honoured in the right way.
1: Is there a without sort of remembering exactly what it was that he brought and also how crazy it was, Jordan, that he was appointed mm-hmm. in the first place. You know, this was a, an overseas manager at the time where very, very few of them had been successful in English football. It was mm-hmm. uh, He was brought in from Japan, uh, as me and John were talking about just before yeah. that. You know, to, to, it's difficult, isn't it, to contextualise because 1998 now really does feel like... A, 1997, sorry, really does feel like a different country. It does feel like an age ago. It is difficult yeah. to contextualise exactly what what it was that he, that, that he did, what he brought in, and, 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 and exactly how earth-shattering it was, the idea that Arsenal, of all clubs, Arsenal, made such a bold move, such a bold choice, is, is, is something that it must be hard to put over to younger, even to younger Arsenal fans today, really. They must be going, they must must, must downplay how how earth-shattering it was.
7: There'll be Arsenal fans that probably weren't born when Arsene Wenger came to, to to the club, and I'm doing a piece for Channel 4 News uh, tonight on on this story, and one of my opening lines is going to be about how different the world was when Arsene Wenger first came to Arsenal. So, for example, the iPhone wasn't even invented when Arsene Wenger, um, you know, came to came to Arsenal. And the idea that everyone an iPhone is such a, a huge part of most people's lives now that wasn't even invented when Arsene Wenger came to Arsenal. And I think that you're right—the the, the bold nature of taking a risk on a manager who was was, was initially referred to as Arsene Who. Everybody yeah. spoke about Arsene. It, it was Arsene Hoops. No one had heard of this guy. He wasn't a former football player. He didn't have a profile of someone that you know. You thought, okay, yeah, that's a name. I don't know much about him, but I I, I know what he can do, and I trust him because I know he's done this. There was none of that. In fact, if anything, he was ridiculed because his biggest achievements were in France in the late 80s and and in Japan. So he came in literally with people wanting him out before he'd even been announced. Because, oh, hang on a minute, who the hell is this guy? What's he going to do? And I just think there's a lesson to be learned in football nowadays that it's not about appointing the most glamorous names. It's not about app- appointing people who have the most glamorous CV. It's about appointing the person that you believe is that, that, has, that shares the values of your football club and, and is conducive to what you see as, as success. And this is why I don't want Arsenal now moving forward to be appointing a person based on name or reputation. Go for, I would take a risk on a manager, and it could go badly wrong, but I'll take a risk on a manager that the club believe shares the values of what this club is all about and, this, and can bring success this club in the best way possible i think it's very it's all too easy to to go with the the high profile names and all of that no get the right guy and back then arsenal got the right guy the only problem is i think he got phased out and he got left behind because while it's admirable he stuck to his principles of what he believed football is all about and how to win football games in the right way and the beautiful game and all of that unfortunately the world around him didn't share that same belief and he got left behind through no fault of his own but just through the fact of things don't always go the way that you want them to go but let's not forget that when he first came in he he revolutionized Arsenal Football Club look at the amount of goals the Arsenal, the, the, sorry, the kinds of goals that Arsenal was scoring, um, they call it Venable. Look at the kinds of players that he scouted, and that he made better. Look at the amount of, look at the fees as well. Let's not forget the guy's got like a billion degrees in economics and finances. Look at the amount, look at on a business level what he's done for this football club. That's all to be admired and respected and, and acknowledged. The problem is, I think that now as an Arsenal fan myself. That's all well and good. The state has been paid off for. We want to get back to being a big club because the reality is we are a laughing stock. We are a laughing stock. Arsenal now getting 10-2 against Bayern Munich. It's easy to forget that because it, was, it, you know, it happened a while ago. That is a, that's a disgrace. No big team should be getting beaten 10-2 by anybody, let alone if you're a big club. So I think it's gone sour in the last four or five years. It says to me that his values of how to manage a football club on the pitch, forget all the ball stuff, just on the pitch. I look at his in-game management. I look at his team selections. I look at his ability to sign a player. They're all crosses now. They're all negatives. There's, there's nothing good about him as a football manager that justifies him staying at Arsenal anymore. And that's why I said I would have sacked him because you have to be brutal. Other big clubs do the same thing. I don't think it's necessarily disrespectful to sack a manager i think if you've got to do it you've got to do it there's no room for sentiment there's no room for emotions in trying to be the best in business but i'm glad that he decided to go out on his terms and I'm, i think the timing is very smart as well just very briefly the timing is very very smart but what they've done is they've avoided a year six months of a circus around arsenea leaving which is what would have happened had he announced he was leaving two three four months ago so let's, let's have it straight they've known he was leaving now for months this isn't just like a thing. You know, overnight, he slept on it and World Cup and decided to leave. This, there's to no be happening for months. But what's going to happen now is, ahead of the Athletic Madrid tie, which is going to be an incredibly difficult tie, what's going to happen now is, the next six weeks is going to be a celebration of Arsenal Wenger's time. All the Arsenal fans that want him out are all going to be behind him. Believe me, that stadium is going to be rocking on Thursday night. It's going to be absolutely on fire, and so it should be. So the timing of the announcement is very, 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 very shrewd as well.
8: Just quickly before we go, you, when you were talking about uh, a potential manager you like, it sort of sounded to me like you were talking about Patrick Vieira. Cause you would you know, yeah. it, it, would that be something that you would back or my I barking up the wrong tree? Well, well, I might like I'm contradicting myself for a little bit, but I'd actually take a gamble on Patrick Vieira, but not
7: because he was an Arsenal legend, but because I think a little bit like Arsene Wenger, when he was appointed... I, <laughs> I'm at a point now where we had so long with Arsene Wenger I'm prepared to gamble on someone like Vieira who doesn't have the best managerial CV and you know there's there's nothing that screams to say yeah he's the guy that can win you a Premier League next season or it could go if we appoint him it could go badly wrong we could finish 10th, 12th, 15th however take a risk be brave be bold I think there's a lot of things to be admired about if we did appoint someone like Patrick Vieira young black knows the Premier League, knows Arsenal, his name can attract you know, players from the African market, from the French and European market. I think that he would grab the chance. With two, I think he'd be fiery. I think he's very, very good with people. But I think he didn't take any nonsense at the same time as well. I think he was known for playing uh, great football. He was in the team that played arguably the best football in Arsenal's history. I think there are a lot of ticks about uh, about Patrick Vieira. And if it was announced that he was the guy to to be appointed. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be angry about that. I'm not saying it would be the best move, but I wouldn't be angry about that. Brendan Rodgers is another one that I've got a gut feeling and have had for a while that he's the guy that they might appoint as well. I wouldn't be as, as, as happy about that. But equally, I wouldn't be angry about it either. What I want us to do is be brave. Have a clear idea of the club they want to be in the next five to ten years and appoint the appropriate manager. Because people talk about, look at what happened to United when Ferguson left. That's going to be you guys. That'll be you guys. It doesn't have to be. If you appoint the right person, what United did wrong was they didn't have a plan when Ferguson left. So they spent the next four or five years panicking and just doing, going from manager to manager, not having a clear plan of what they want to be in five to ten years' time. Look at Manchester City. Their plan was a ten-year plan. Pep came in on that plan three, four years in, but they had a plan. If you plan for the next 10 years, what kind of football do you want to play? What kind of players do you want on our pitch? All of those questions will come back to the manager that you appoint. So appoint the right person according to your 10-year plan. Things will go rocky. Things will go wrong. But if you believe in the plan, stick with it and back your man.
1: I think we're going to be talking to you again soon. Uh, best of luck on Thursday. I think it's quite an interesting thing that you know. previously I was obviously thinking, oh, I quite like Arsenal. You know, Arsenal-Atletico, I might watch that and I probably want Atletico to win. There is every chance now and I think it is important that, you know, it is a strange thing that uh, everything that John said about the impact that Wenger had on English football, there's now part of me that we think, wouldn't it be lovely if he won that and went out on that particular high when normally my attitude towards the English club in Europe is I hope they get decimated. Uh, anyway, thank you very much indeed uh, to Jordan as no no ever. Welcome, the Football no Fans no Podcast, we will be talking to again when they appoint, hopefully, the guy you manages to get excited about. And it does feel a little bit like Arsenal are back. Not necessarily a good thing for Liverpool, but possibly good in general <laughs> for the competition. Uh, this is the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. After the break, I'm going to keep talking to John. I'm going to talk to him about moments in time. I'm going to talk to him about Ian Rush in 1982. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Anfield Wrap on Radio City Talk. Neil Atkinson, John Gibbons. We'll get back to everybody else in a minute or two, but before then we're going to have a chat about a project that, that John uh, and other people at the Anfield Wrap uh, have been collectively working on For a period of time now, John, and it's your second in your moments of time series, of which we're hopeful the general public will get six across the course of the year. And this one is about the about that day in 1982 when Ian Rush scored four goals.
8: Yeah, it is. It came out of of a kind of an idea, well, of of a conversation, should I say, in the office where the younger lads were talking about the fact that poor Scouser Tommy ends with. Liverpool fans singing about that game and, and Rush score one, Rush score two, Rush score three, and Rush score four, and a couple of the lads have never even seen the goals, but they sing that every time they go to Anfield, and I thought that's that's a funny thing, isn't it? The the goals they you know never mind don't remember, but have never even even watched on YouTube or, or seen on the telly get sung about every game. So it's telling the story about that is what I wanted to do, and it ended up being a story about two things. First of all, obviously about the day and what an achievement it was and would, would be no matter what the circumstances were to go to your rivals and beat them 5-0 on, on their ground and what an amazing thing that is to do, an amazing achievement. But it also became a show just about Ian Rush and about how he's he's almost, I wouldn't say he's become a forgotten man in Liverpool's history, That, that that's probably too far, but but I think if you asked 20 Liverpool fans to name their greatest ever 11, I would, how many times do you think he would get in I, I would predict about four or five when it probably should be teens. Um, you know, I'm not one to, to, to tell people. You know, it's it's their team who to pick and stuff like that. But he's but he's our greatest ever goal scorer, and we we almost don't talk to him about him in in that way enough.
1: Well, it's interesting because one of the things that it was, it's obviously accidental because I know you started working back on this months ago. Yeah. But one of the things that I think, should at least anyway, of throwing him back into, into people's minds and into focus are the conversations we're having around Salah. And yeah. that Salah's got 40 goals and that Russia's done that twice. Yeah. And that that is, you know, and, and, and uh, this season, by the way, the, where, these, where he scores these four, that doesn't even count. But the number <laughs> of times that he's, you know, that I, I've been trotting this stat out that Firmino is the fifth player this millennia. To uh, to to break twenty five goals for Liverpool, that he's yeah. the fifth player this millennia to do that. Rush did it almost every year. Yeah. Almost every year, Rush was playing for Liverpool from when he got on the side. He did it every year. So you know that that that, that puts into it does put into context that the fact that salary is approaching Rush's overall season record for the Reds. It does put into context the sheer brilliance of him. That maybe he's just sort of turned into when people said,
8: "Jenny just kicked it in the goal loads," yeah. as though that's not the most brilliant thing in football. Yeah, and he's twenty one. On, in, in this game, which is which is which is so young, considering he's a little bit of a late starter in that he's not one who's 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 gone through the youth system at Liverpool. He's at he's at Chester till he's nineteen, and Everton have a little look at him and decide not to get him, and then Liverpool take a risk, and then he goes famously, well, quite famously anyway. Those four, first few games for Liverpool without scoring and looking like he's he's a million miles away, and then and then this game is is is. I think Tony Evans describes it as, as the birth of, of, of a new hero for us. And I think this is the one where, where everyone realises that, that this kid, if you like, because he is a kid, is something really, really special. And as you say, we go on to get his best years at Liverpool. He has the one year at UVA, but then comes back. And, and he's our, he is our greatest ever goal scorer. He is indeed. Uh, so here's a clip uh, from, uh, from Moments in Time, which is available on the Anfield App's website
1: uh, on Ian Rush 1982.
0: It's One of those that you, you know, you didn't expect anything was really coming. It was a derby, loads of derbies under, um, but obviously it went down to folklore because it was the birth of the birth of our one of our great superstars, really. You know, Ian Rush, quite an underrated player to an extent. You know, people because Dal Gleesh, I mean, how how'd you outshine Dal Gleesh, You know, he was everything, money, but Rush was. She was so integral to that team in, in the 80s. It reminded me a lot of Roger Hunt. I mean, Roger Hunt obviously got the credit, but, you know, Ian St. John was my first hero. It wasn't Roger for some reason. St. John had more charisma. least had more charisma. But Ian Roche was just such a fantastic player and so reliable. You know, you just knew he could pop up and score make something out of nothing and as I say he could head it as well he, he could do it all because he was just a quiet lad, as well, he didn't want to speak much he didn't, didn't he really blew his trumpets and he was the object of, of all the piss takes in that team so he kind of you know, he knew his role and again that, that was part of that Liverpool team then nobody could get big you know only Kenny we talk about all the Liverpool players at the present day. They've got some way to go to match what Rushy's done. You know, he was he's a fantastic footballer. Scored all types of goals. Had a fantastic relationship with Kenny Dalglish. Kenny dropped out of the side, moved on. Peter Beardsley came in and an understanding there. So he was a very clever footballer, Rushy. You know, always on the on the shoulder of defenders. Kevin Ratcliffe who was his big mate. Never could get the better of him. Rushy scored for fun against Rats and Neville Southall as well. Who was a really good goalkeeper. But every time you saw Rushy going through one and one nine times out of ten was only one outcome and he was going to score. Uh, He had everything. It turned him into a, a cop hero forever, you know. Even if he would never kick the ball afterwards, it's you know people would still be singing about that day because it was
4: brilliant. You could see he was something special by then, you know. and we you were just looking forward to hoping he could continue as you know his upward trajectory. But that day told you that he was around for you know such, such a long time, and you saw that we had a
0: goal scorer to be fears. And I tell you what, he punished Everton in the not only that day but every possible chance. he got he made them suffer he was unstoppable unstoppable and he was so so sort of such a shy lad in a lot of ways that he just got on with his job. Didn't took the adulation, took the accolades very very well. Didn't let that sort of get to him too much. And it, he was so clever on a football pitch, and I think that's what made him so special. But Rushy was so difficult to mark. What did you want? He could score left foot, right foot at times, you know. What's his natural foot? It was that difficult when you see him volleying with his left foot, volleying with his right foot. You went, wow, he could do everything. Tappings, shots from outside the box. He had an array of talent to be sort of he, the best goal scorer in the world at his particular time. And, and he was playing for Liverpool, which made
9: it even better. The job was to score goals. If I scored one, I want to score two. If I scored two, I want to score three. It's made bread and butter. And I scored, I scored four. I want to score five, and, uh, and that's what it's all about. But it's funny when you, I think when you finish playing football, you look back and see where, what an achievement it was. When you're playing, you think, okay, you've got to do it again. But I can look back and now and say with pride, you know, um, no, I scored four goals against Everton in the Merseyside derby. You know, not many people have done that. No, so for me, it's something which I'll always remember.
8: And it's something Liverpool fans will always remember. As long as there's a certain song that's sung on the cop.
9: When I go to Liverpool now, obviously being ambassador for Liverpool, but I think now is I go as a supporter. And when they sing that, it's just, it just brings tears to your eyes, really. You know, I think people that most probably didn't even see their goals, you know, I think the older generation uh, would be doing that, the younger generation, for them to still sing that is, is something very, very moving. You know, obviously, again, man, you'll never walk alone. That's incredible. When they sing that, for me, it's just, uh, I can't believe it, you know, and I feel so proud and everything. And hopefully it continues because it gives me a great pleasure when they do sing the name
1: excellent uh, John's moments in time thing there if you get the opportunity to listen to it please do do so uh, AnfieldApp.com to hear uh, that story about Rush in 1982 and how significant a footballer he was for Liverpool it is available now for free uh, you can listen to it free on the website as you can listen to this and our Monday show uh, if you would like to subscribe it's a subscription that allows us to spend the time to work on projects like that I don't have to tell you that really but it is AnfieldApp.com forward slash subscribe uh, we would like you to come and be part of this exciting end to Liverpool season and watch. should also be an exciting summer if everything comes together for the Reds. How, um, did,
4: how did we get on with the Whitney Houston licensing thing for 12 months in time? Did we
1: get there? We never, there the that, oh, that, there's not enough subscribers to afford Whitney. Uh, <laughs> let's be quite clear, we sadly cannot afford Whitney. It is this the stage. shower
4: song every morning.
1: Um, <laughs> well, that gives, conjures me all sorts of images, Andy. <laughs> uh, places I don't want to be. Um, <laughs> there, is, there is this, the, the, the matter of the end of this Liverpool campaign, Dan, and the managers... I'm intrigued by the manager's attitude uh the press conference. It's, it, seems, it seems pretty clear he's going to go pretty strong against West Brom. Maybe it is, he's thinking, listen, there's, it's two wins just to get this thing done in terms of qualifying next year. Maybe he's thinking we win this one and then I can maybe think about doing stuff around the edges away at Stoke. But it's huge, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I, I think it's a sort of um, two-pronged thing and he wants to kill Chelsea before we have to go to Chelsea. Um, I I, I think he'd like to have absolutely no interest around that game whatsoever Um, and also he he speaks an awful lot doesn't he about rhythm Um, and and although he's rotated at times this season it's never been kind of a full team change it's never been he's he's decided one game's more important than the other and dropped all the good lads and played a sort of reserve 11 Um, he was bringing maybe three or four in and out at at certain times Um, and I, I think he is looking at the Roma game and he's probably weighed this one up and he's got a choice between either sticking with what is pretty much a first team, maybe one or two um, won't start, or leaving pretty much all of them out but then there's a t- 10 day gap between the previous Bournemouth game and that Roma tie and I know that there's an argument that you keep everyone fresh, you don't risk injuries, whatever else but he, he, he seems to thrive more on using players' momentum than keeping the legs fresh. Um, we saw that in the Porto tie, I think, especially when he... Um, let, did, did he leave Firmino on for the 90 minutes and he brought Salah on after 60? As if to say, you may as well go and score another goal if you can, lad, um, rather than just keeping them fresh. So I think it's about... I think it's about keeping the the good feeling going because a defeat or dropping points against West Brom wouldn't, it, it, I mean, it wouldn't be the end of the world in Liverpool season. I think we'd all be still absolutely convinced that Liverpool were finishing in the top four and that it wouldn't affect their own result. But it'd just shift the way they talk a little bit. It'd it shift the atmosphere in the dressing room for those 20 minutes that are in there talking after the match. And I think he'll look to avoid that as best he can and and keep things as as positive and as similar to what they have been recently because it's all been going in the right direction. He says
1: this Adam, he says we respect the intensity of the season so far but at the end we respect West Brom and we respect the Premier League, we need points to be in the top four he says they've got four points since they changed the manager. He also says and I think it's interesting, there is no other way for us we don't have 25 players to line up two different teams in the different competitions and it it strikes me that there is a, I think it's easy for for, you know, I, I love a bit of back of a at rotation uh, as much as the next man. But there is there is, a, there is a point here, which is four or five of the lads who he might, might have liked to have had available to rotate at this stage, he's now not got uh, due to their own injuries. So he can make changes in a couple of places, but you do sort of think with him, the other thing he's thinking is, well, this is the reality of football. You get to the business end of the season and everyone's got to do the business.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know, really. I think it's a... I think it's less tricky than 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 people are perhaps making out. I I I just think we're seven points clear of Chelsea. I know we've got to play them, but even if that let's just say they beat we're still four points clear of them. And I don't I don't see where our form is suddenly taking a nosedive off the edge of a cliff when it hasn't at any other point in the entire season. And I don't see where Chelsea are suddenly developing. Championship winning form in their last four games and you can look at their fixtures and go oh well they'll think some of those games are definitely winnable well they probably thought that against Watford and they think they lost 4-1 so you know it, I just think it's not I, I'm not as bothered if the manager chooses to rotate I think Dan's point is really which is a really fair one which is that when all said and done the rhythm and how long is between games is the, is the thing that I think the manager will be thinking about not whether, he, not whether we're going to be too weak to beat West Brom I, I, I think that I think that it doesn't take much for them to give up, basically. I think if they, if we score reasonably early, I, I think they go, we've lost this one. You know, that we, we, because they're, they're basically down. They know they're basically down. I, I don't think we're going to go into a Hawthorne that's absolutely bouncing and they're convinced they're going to beat us and they're, they're going to do this last
1: hurrah that's going to keep them in the Premier League. I just don't see it happening. I, Are they don't have a nice time with Darren Moore. Is that not the attitude for them? Or we've got a lot of respect for Darren. We want to win this for Darren.
2: Yeah, but I, I you know, I. I That's all well and good, but they've left it too late. You know, they can have a nice time for Darren, but they're still probably going down. I mean, you know, I just think the teams that are rock bottom of the league are rock bottom of the league for pretty much a reason. And they've been terrible all season long and it won't take much for them to go back to thinking we're going to get battered here even though they've beaten us once and and drawn against us at Anfield I think he'll go strong because I think that he wants to uh, keep that rhythm and keep the players do that I think what he'll do is I think what he'll do is pretty much what what he did I, I think against Bournemouth which is sort of say don't come out of second gear just you know play well but don't don't be stressing yourselves just do, you know, get yourself almost treat it almost like a training session before the Roma game. I think is what he'll do. It's not what I think he should do, but you know, them's the breaks.
1: He's the manager. He's the manager. Um, he's also got a Roma side who are also battling to ensure they finish in the top four. Andy, I think that's worth pointing out. They've got a game against the side at uh, Spal uh, this weekend where they they've got the same quandary and they've got the additional thing. And I think this is the other thing to point out that we will worry about this, but our lads have got to go to the Hawthorns and back. Um, Rome have got to play their game, and then they've got to come to Anfield. That is that that is a factor here that is in play. You know we are we're at home in this first leg, and I just sort of think if he can if he can put himself into a position where maybe he can feel as though he he can do his change make his changes for for the Stoke game next weekend, and that's also at home. It might be that he thinks he treats this one the way he treated Crystal Palace and says, right lads, go out, win, impress me, perform. We're all back to Anfield this week, and we back ourselves there.
4: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I suppose, so. Look, I, I, you know, my, my thoughts on this, I'd, I'd always go, I'd always go hard, I'd always go heavy to the end, and I think you're at the stage of the season that where you can run on those fumes anyway, you can run on adrenaline, because there's so much at stake for it, um, you're going to have lads there, as well, you know, you're going to have lads there with lots of proving, I know, client's probably got another little niggle, so we won't make it, but... I don't. I don't see why you give yourself which is pretty much what we saying any excuse. You know, give yourself an excuse to maybe lose and get down on yourself a little bit. And also the other side with West Brom. I think Adam made a good point there. They've had their results. So you talk about the Darren Moore thing. They've had their results against Man United last week. You know the the the, the you know the, the win against the odds. Yeah, the chest banging pride. Look, see, but look what could have happened. Um, Look, I, I think the biggest problem for our, the only problem for Liverpool, I think, and I said this against Bournemouth last week, would be Liverpool. But we're getting far, far better at being professional and managing these games and playing almost in third and fourth gear. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, there's something in. There's something in. I'll come back to you on this, Andy. In yes. fact, last I'll, I'll ask all of you this question. It's one of my my new brand of unfair questions that I'm going to whack out. But if you're the Liverpool manager, you know, and you've seen this, not not every Liverpool manager, but this Liverpool manager is very much seen the present as something to use again in the past in the future. So he's very much I think spent a lot of his tenure wanting wanting sides to have experiences, learn lessons, improve from those lessons and then move on. If we were four points behind Manchester City, would you rotate anyone?
6: If yeah. we were four points off yeah. the pace, well,
1: would, you, would you rotate anyone? With the same game on the horizon. Because that's what we we'll want to be next season. Next season we we'll want to be trying to win the Champions League and trying to win the league. We want to have business we want to have huge games at the business end of the season. So if this was if if we were just four points off the off of first. So we if would were you, still in with a shout. If we were still in with a with a good shout, we need them to make a bit of a mistake, but a good shout, you wouldn't want to change anyone.
4: No, no, of of course you wouldn't, but then as well, you'd you'd be looking at, you'd hope we'd have a better squad as well. You'd have more options there. I mean, I always go back to, and I know sports change, and sports science and whatever, but I always go back to the treble season with Gerard Hulia, and how sparse our squad was then, and how sparsely he, he rotated that side. And even to the point where we had that magnificent season under, under Rafa Benitez, and Benitez was apparently the arch rotator. But then come the turn of the year, it was a, uh, the Makeda season. Yeah. I'm going to, that one. Um, when we hit, hit our straps after January, it didn't really change much because there was so much at stake. I think rotation's easy when you when there's not at risk.
1: I'm um, in the first half of the campaign. What do you think he's got this man? I think he has done. I think he spent so much of his time thinking about the thing that we do next. If you know what I mean, and I think that's because he he views himself as a football manager who's here for the long haul. He doesn't see himself just as it's this defining season. So I'll ask you the same question. You know, if we were four points off the pace, you'd want to see our strongest possible side,
3: yes? Yeah, for both matches. Um, I think a lot of the things he was saying around the time of um, the Europa League final were really interesting in that regard. Because he spoke about it. I mean, of course, our manager is going to speak about it not being a negative and people not getting too downhearted. But he was very much speaking about the future. Um, I remember him getting asked a lot of questions about like... um, about the fact that you know we had the night against Dortmund, we had the night against United, and and that we didn't end up winning the trophy, and 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 you know what did that mean? Did that mean that they were a bit redundant now? And and he was always he was always saying stuff like he, he would just turn the question, he just pretty much ignore what he was saying and say um, those nights and this final set us up for the next final and the one after that and the next European run and whatever yeah. else. So I, I I agree that I think he is thinking of stuff like that, and he he's always. Spoken about using the players' positivity and energy and success, or sometimes failure as well, but but continued success as a platform for what comes afterwards, whether that's the season afterwards or whether that's literally the next football match. Um. So I, I if that scenario were to come up now or next season or whenever, yeah, I would always want them playing the first eleven, and I think he always would play the first eleven in both games. It's. It seems as though Adam, it's one which he's he's going to be.
1: I presume you, would you answer the question in the same way as the other two sort
2: of I think I'd take a a, a little bit of each actually I think Andy's point is, is really valid which is that you would hope that next season we've got a stronger squad Um and I think if you've got a stronger squad you're able to use it more um, and I think that he would want to do that and um, uh, I think he'll probably go big in this game, big in the Roma game and then rotate massively for Stoke. That's what I think he will do. Uh, because that means you then need one from the from Stoke, Brighton and Chelsea um, and every and that's you just get it at Stoke. Exactly, yeah. So you know, even with a rotated team, Stoke are another one who are rubbish. They are rubbish. So you know, there's an equal chance of winning that. But you sorry, you're gonna ask another question.
1: Though. I was I was gonna ask you the question around around how how much you think he he takes from from the present, if you know what I mean, and extrapolate forward into the future. I think he's fascinating. He loves the one game at a time. We're going to get through West Brom, and then we're going to talk about Roma. He loves all of that, but then simultaneously acknowledges we go away on our little coach's sojourn, and we plan the next blank block of games, including Manchester City. And then you find out that he's decided the transfers he wants to do in the summer in February, and. I, you know, I think he's so. He's so um, I think this is where obviously the way in which a lot of managers have to work. But I think the ways in which you get to catch him out in his contradictions, but he gets to say no, no, no. This is it's. We have different phases of thought at different times. But how much I, I wonder about him using the business end of this season, where he's able to say that Liverpool have been better than Manchester City say since Christmas, to be able to say come next season March, if we're in a head-to-head with Manchester City, he's able to say lads. You beat them home and away last season. Um, we've got a better squad now, and you did this and you did this, and they lost six games. And do you know what I mean? I think he's constantly grabbing all this information to be able to use it again.
2: I think that's the. I think that is the tricky thing about life in general, as, uh, as esoteric as the answer is. I think it's. I think the reality is that he has to look five six stages managers will always say it's about the next game but someone like Antonio Conte doesn't in that he knows he's sort of on a year by year deal do you know what I mean like Klopp's in quite a unique position but I think that's well I think think Conte's in the unique position because he probably knows he's getting sacked at the end of any any given any Chelsea manager knows they probably only you know got one season I think most football managers would go into a job thinking uh, uh, unless I completely implode I have got a good while here and I can think ahead I can think I do think Klopp does it more than others I do think he uses that but at the end of the day the tricky thing he's got right now is it's very difficult to persuade people you know let's focus on getting into this tournament that we could win this year so next year well, you know, we could win it this year. That's it's a psychologically like, that's difficult uh, experience, yeah. Exactly, that's yeah. what it is. And uh, but I think, as I say, I think that's true of life in general. I think you know, people often say, "Live for today." Well, that's fine, mate. But now I'm in twenty grand's debt because I've been going on holiday every week. You've got to, you know, you've got to think of the future at some points. So I, I think the manager is 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 very very good at persuading. I think I think the key thing is I think the manager is very good at persuading the players that it's about the next game. I don't think he thinks it's about the next game.
1: Uh, pick me a Liverpool team, Andy.
4: Oh, I was gonna—I was gonna bring a really good Tuchel quote into, into um, if you want to, because we—we were talking about um, European semi-finals and quarter-finals, one thing and the other. And I was going through small Tuchel quotes today, and he said, uh, "Really interested, losing is underrated. <laughs> Makes it—it's all—it's the all adage that you, you learn more in defeat." Yeah, than, yeah. And I think that as this Liverpool side progresses, especially over the course of this season, you can see that they're learning all the time. And I was off on a tangent slightly, but. This team now is totally unrecognisable to the one at the start of the season. So So you're talking about the rotation of one thing and the other. I'd be far less concerned about that if he chose to, then it would be early in the season. But the team tomorrow.
1: Yeah, pick me a team.
4: Ooh, uh, well if Gomez is fit, I can see Gomez maybe coming back in and uh, give Trent a bit of a rest. Because I think if there is a player who need who needs A, a week off just to refresh, maybe there uh, maybe give Clavin a game if he's fit because he's got legs in him. I'd keep two of the three up front. So maybe keep, rest one of Firmino, Salah Romani. maybe give givings a go, I don't know. Um, and then your midfield three. well, it kind of, you're kind of stuck, aren't you? Maybe give Milner another rest. Um, maybe go with Van Alden, Henderson, and then who does that leave? Oxlade-Chamberlain. Maybe Oxlade-Chamberlain, I don't know. Um, nothing wholesale. And again, the, the, whole, the quality of players bringing in, they're not too shabby
1: nothing wholesale I think that sounds pretty reasonable Dan
3: yeah um, I think I would just go with the three really good lads up front um, just because I think they've proved themselves over the course of the season that they're fairly fit um, Salah came back from from something really quickly um, Mane's injury problems from last season seem to be behind him now um, obviously there's always something that can happen in any game of football um, but I'd like them to just keep playing well together and, and to take that in with them because I think lashing one of Ings or um, Solanke in there really it. Um And it's not just because they're not the same quality of player, it's because argument, they're not the same kind it's of not, player. Is
1: there not an argument for Ings maybe where you can say, well, he hasn't had a chance playing with yeah. a couple of them?
3: It's exactly that. You'd say, yeah, give him a chance. <laughs> That's exactly, a exactly
2: what I was about to say is that for me personally, I would, put, I would, I would give Firmino a rest because I, th- I do think he's been looking tired recently. Um, and I would put Ings in because I think that I, I'm a little bit bored of everyone saying you know, Ings isn't good enough, he needs to go in the summer. I think if you're the manager, you, you you must be looking at that and thinking, well, what is he like when I haven't rotated, you know, five of the other front six players that I've got in the team? What is he like if he just comes in, the one person that comes in and actually plays in the position that he wants to be in rather than shunt it out to the right or shunted out to the left as he has been previously? So personally, I would rest Firmino and I will put Ings in and maybe, you know, give Firmino half an hour at the end to make sure he's still fresh.
3: Prediction, Dan, quick. 2-0 uh, to Liverpool 2 nil. Adam Yeah, I'll go with that 2-0,
4: Andy Oh, how you laughed When I said Bournemouth with be a 3-0 procession You really did I how really did laugh.
1: laugh You did say that And I laughed 2-1 uh, the Reds 2-1 the Reds I bet you celebrated That Firmino winner Like nothing on earth That third goal <laughs> there uh, Personal vindication Andy's gone 2-1 I live uh, my life on it uh, Looking forward to this one tomorrow Liverpool versus West Brom And then it's the big one The big one, the big one Liverpool to get try to get To the European Cup final The first leg Oh, what a week for the boys
9: Podcast Network.